virtually all the way. Oh, and it's a beautiful goal! What a City win at Villa Park, setting them up nicely for their return tie in the Europa League. We've got Arsenal on the horizon as well in the Premier League. It's all looking good at City at the moment. This is for Fox's sake. Hello and welcome to For Fox's Sake. My name is Pete Selby and Rob, you're alongside me over the airwaves. What a win. What a win indeed. Happy Monday, nice and sunny up here in Sheffield at the M1. Some uh, positive-ish news from Boris Johnson recently and Leicester have won one and drawn one since we last spoke on the podcast. There is nothing not to like about today's episode, apart from the fact that we're on it, of course. Speak for yourself. It's uh, We're recording actually just minutes after Doris has, uh, has, has said that there's a possibility if everything kind of goes to plan that I think it's the last game against Spurs. We could maybe have 25% of the King Power crowd in there, so around 8,000. That's the plan. We'll wait and see. There we go. And um, hopefully there might be kind of non league football back for the 29th. I don't know whether there's going to be any reformation of leagues or they're going to do a cup competition or whatever, but. It's, you know, there is a slight plan in place and we'll wait and see. But anyway, that's that. And uh, and we're on the back of, as you mentioned, two good results for Leicester in the Premier League, winning 2-1 away at Villa. And the draw, which we've said before the game in the Europa League, will take a draw and move on. And ultimately, it turned out to be a decent point in the end, or decent point, <laughs> a, a decent first leg result. Knowing that away goals count, etc., etc. And we'll look at the game later on this week and but overall you, you would say it was a good uh, a good point a good point again see look at that got it in got it in the brain got the league got the football cliches stuck in your mind oh i got the league stuck in my brain because we've gone to villa park we've taken three points an intriguing game an interesting game to look back on rob because as much as leicester were I thought, excellent in the first half. They were slick, they were crisp, they were dangerous. They created a few chances, but they looked like they could get into the position to then create an awful lot more very easily. And they went in at half-time, 2-0 up. Goals from James Madison, Harvey Barnes. And then you expect maybe the second half to kind of go along the same wavelength. I thought it might turn into a bit of a, a drab second half but not in the case that it that it ended up being from a, a Leicester point of view. Um, their early goal, which we'll, we'll talk about when we look into the game in more depth, really changed the whole game and the whole premise of the game and, and the second half. But first up, have you heard this kind of rumour that's going around about how Leicester knew or were in places informed of how Jack Grealish was possibly going to miss this game. I haven't heard anything to do with that, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, but what I don't like is is the narrative that some uh, uh, media went with that Leicester only beat Aston Villa because Grealish wasn't on the pitch. Of course, it changes the way that they play, 
but they just weren't at the races first half. So I don't think Grealish missing had an overall bearing on the fact that, that Aston Villa couldn't possibly win a football match without Jack Grealish. But go on, what's what's this, that Leicester had some inside information? Is Craig Shakespeare giving handouts back to us? Not quite. It's on a FPL level. Essentially, if you're related to Aston Villa in some way, you're a coach, you're one of the backroom staff, you're one of the players, and you would more than likely have Jack Grealish in your side. Now, if you look at last week's game week in fantasy football, and if you don't know about fantasy football, you need to have your team in before the first game that week. And the first game was the Friday night. So everyone's team had to be in before the Friday night. But also, that means that you can then look at their team. So if you know someone in the backroom staff at Aston Villa, and they've had Jack Grealish in their side for the entire season, and all of a sudden, he's not there. And it's not that he's not on the bench, or he's, he's not in the first team. He's actually been sold. They've, they've transferred him out. And this was a number of coaches and by reports, maybe one or two players as well. So you kind of put two and two together and go, well, if everyone's at Villa taking Jack Grealish out of their side for this weekend's home game against Leicester, that means he's not going to play. And if they've transferred him out, it means he might actually be out for a few weeks, which from a Leicester point of view doesn't really matter as long as he's not playing in this one game, which is a really... It's an interesting kind of scenario because... FPL has been creeping into all kind of aspects of of Premier League football, FPL being fantasy Premier League. And it creeps in in commentary when you hear in the game between Manchester United and Newcastle, if you're watching that game on Sunday night, they mentioned about Fernandez's minute touch on the ball um, through for, I think it was James for the second goal. Uh, and his contribution to that would have maybe have been picked up on a replay. But they mentioned it in relation to his assist stats, etc., etc., and those are only really put forward now or heightened by the the fact that those the points for FPL. It really is the case. So, which 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 I like because I play it, and a lot of people are listening to the podcast play it. It's great fun. But this angle, when looking at players and backroom staffs teams, and then trying to determine any kind of injury problems or even whether people are going to be picked, etc., etc., for the game in a couple of days time that's that's both ingenious and also something which in the future i'd imagine there's going to be either a blanket ban or just private leagues so you can only play amongst yourselves at a football club it's it's a very interesting scenario and something which i'm sure is being discussed at at premier league clubs right now and i'm something which i guarantee no one would have been thinking of that we're going to start the show with this time last week it is it is a very modern day way of spying on a football club, isn't it? It's it's not quite Bielsa rocking up at the uh, behind the fences in in the bushes at the training ground and having a peek through. This is a very high tech way of um, having a look at uh, team news, I guess, for your for your opponents. It's it is an interesting one because, as you say, it it has become more and more popular. I mean, it's been around for years, hasn't it? Even before people had smartphones, you'd pick your dream team out of the paper and that kind of thing. But, you know, there's millions, probably tens of millions of people worldwide playing Fantasy Premier League now, uh, massively including players, coaches, and it's a, it's a big sort of talking About six point. or seven million, I think. I think it is. Yeah, it's madness. It's a huge number. Um and it is, it is as you say, it's providing, it's, it's almost kind of um, alongside the football now, especially because the football is, uh, 
I think a lot of supporters are feeling a little bit um, of a barrier at the moment between us as supporters and the actual football match. Although they're all being broadcast on TV, you know, the the sense of not being able to go to the ground and watch it with the people you've sat with probably for decades and enjoying the atmosphere. The sense that even um, for me, who doesn't get to as many games as I used to when I lived in Leicester, um, going down the pub with a, I've got a couple of mates up here who are Leicester fans who get down the pub for uh, a game or two a month. You know, just, just the sort of social element of football. The Rob Hayes Leicester crew. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't name them after me. <laughs> um, but there's surprisingly more Leicester fans up here than, than you would imagine. It's not actually that far away. I'm not, I'm not that far up north. But it is, it's become a really interesting way to interact with your mates about football because that tiny little touch from Fernandez, for example, I'm straight on my um, fantasy Premier League app to make sure that he gets the assist, uh, to make sure that he gets me the points. And we talk about Fantasy Premier League on every single podcast. Look, we started the show with it today. Um, so it's a huge, huge thing. And football clubs are going to have to rein that in very quickly. Uh, you know, when when footballers first naively started using social media, you know, um, it's, it's really this current generation. Particularly, I think Twitter was the first one really where... Um, where players' accounts were so public that people could see what they were up to in their daily lives, that kind of thing, obviously within reason of whatever the players shared. But then you've got um, Snapchat, TikTok, all of the all of these newer ones that are, that are coming out as well now. Uh, it's a different age for a footballer, and they had to educate all of the footballers around social media, mainly through inappropriateness or, um, or possible um, misreadings of, of private jokes, that kind of thing. Um, and they have to be careful in that sense. But now they're going to have to be careful on this. They're going to have to rein that in. Like you say, they're going to have to find a way. Maybe um, they're going to have to speak to the people that run Fantasy Premier League and and see if they can... Because uh, at the minute, I'm pretty sure you can see anybody's team, uh, it, provided you could you know their team name or you can find them in whatever league you're in. You could look at their team. So they may be going to have to find a way to lock certain accounts so that members of the public can't see because that is a huge particularly for a team like Villa Grealish is their captain I think they said it's one of the first games he's missed or the first game he's missed since late 2019 he's played for, for a bloke that pretends to get kicked a lot he plays a lot of football doesn't get too many injuries or certainly hasn't in the last 18 months or so so it's a big miss for them um and you know you're looking at other teams that rely on one or two individual players if other teams notice in advance with some certainty that they're missing, they can adapt their game plan accordingly and they don't have to maybe worry so much about nullifying that threat. For Leicester, I don't I don't think knowing it would necessarily have changed things. There are a lot of people suggesting that we started with Castagna and Ricardo down the right-hand side um, with a view to nullifying that threat down the left-hand side, which is pre- predominantly where Grealish tends to occupy spaces obviously he drifts inside a lot he's got a fairly free role but normally starts from out on the left hand side would that have meant that they could have only played one of them out of Ricardo and Castagna maybe put the other one at left back and put Thomas back on the bench and start with somebody more attack minded on the right hand side like Perez or under maybe but probably not but it is an interesting one to to keep an eye on and clubs will want to shut that down very very quickly I'm looking at it as a a double bluff option where you could have an entire backroom staff take out 
Jamie Vardy and then Vardy turns up and plays to kind of double bluff the opposition into them thinking it's 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 a it's a funny scenario it's a funny story which will need to be looked at and you can look a little bit deeper and call it um the link between fancy football and and, and gambling which is a big problem in football and will come to a head in the next few months with a big review that's going on in the background whether there's going to be teams allowed gambling on the front of their shirts etc because you look for that last touch before a player to get points for your fancy football people can now bet on that happening um just with a click of the button on your phone it's the link between the two is getting ever shorter and shorter and the industry i work in it's one angle which i've kind of been championing as well as one with a look towards that which i know might not sit favorably with many people but there you go it's the way it's the way that works so that's to one side because the one angle with the game i i would really like to explore and i think for leicester is the most uh, intriguing angle when it comes to the starting lineup when it comes to the future starting lineup and that future will be up until more than likely you're looking at Christmas because of James Justin injury. Um, and that is what you mentioned with Castagna playing on the right, uh, Luke Thomas playing excellently on the left, and Ricardo Pereira playing in right midfield. I believe completely that was in just in case maybe Grealish was playing. That had to have been the case. All Brighton against his former side in good form, etc., etc. You would think would more than likely have been a starting role um, for Leicester, unless they were going to play maybe Undare in that position. Um, you thought that it would have been Castagna one side and Pereira the other side. But playing in this way, I thought suited Leicester perfectly. I was especially <clears throat> the contribution, first of all, from Castagna, for him to come back into football and play a full 90 minutes. He had a really good game. Uh, both in a defensive way. I've watched the second half again, just before we've come on air. Uh, I was impressed with him, with his uh, defensive play, with his positioning especially. There was a few dangerous moments late on in the game, and it was um, Castagna who was marshalling the troops on that side of the field, but also um, dealing with the back post very well, along with say, Luke Thomas on the other side, and we'll come on to him in more depth later, but also to last the 90 minutes. But then you have Ricardo Pereira in front of him. We know how good he is going forward. And for him to play as a, technically, a right winger, you would say. It's not an out-and-out right winger, as you would say in the old-fashioned sense, but he adds more in that position than All Brighton does because he can do everything that All Brighton can do, but also... What you like with Albright in the ability to get back and help, Pereira easily ticks that box. Um, to get about the field and interrupt play, which I know is not at the forefront of what you would like maybe a forward right-sided player to do, but that's what Albrighton gives. Pereira, I would say exceptional at that. He can win the ball high up the field. Uh, he also has the just pure skill of a right winger. He's got the pace. He's got the shot on him, as we've seen over the last, what, 18 months to two years. And in that first half, virtually all of the play that was built towards the Aston Villa penalty area came from the right. On the left, you've got the explosive pace of Harvey Barnes. 
but that was a more direct threat just using pace, power and skill. When on the right, it was all the interchange, the nice one-twos with Madison, with Ricardo, with Castagna coming forward as well. And that, I thought, was a real highlight. And I just sat there thinking, as much as Thomas had a good game, imagine Justin either being on the right or the left, Castagna and then Ricardo in front. That looks to be the future way I think Leicester are going to play. And you can only be encouraged by that because it also gives you another option where if you want to change the formation for any way, for any need, um, you've got the ability to do that with Ricardo, who we know we can play on the left as well. You've got Castagna who can play either side. It's just so flexible. And I was massively, massively encouraged by what we saw in that first half on the right. Me too. It looked very well balanced, didn't it? And and it could look a little bit negative in um, in some people's eyes in the fact that Castagna uh, can play uh, right back or left back or wing back. Uh, and as does Ricardo, it almost looked like piling two, uh, two full backs on, on that one side. But as you say, Ricardo has got every attribute uh, necessary to get up and down as a right winger all game. I'd probably say the only area that he maybe falls down in um, behind Albrighton in is is the actual crossing ability. I think Ricardo uses the ball very, very well. He, he can see a pass, he can play, he's technically he's very, very sound. Um, but I think Albrighton's one of the best crossers of the ball, arguably, arguably in the Premier League, um, when he gets it right. Uh, so Ricardo's probably missing only that, but all of the other areas he's better in. He's he's quicker, he's stronger, he is he works equally hard, equally as hard as Mark Albrighton, and I mean that as a real compliment because I think Albrighton's one of the hardest working footballers you're going to find. He's very honest, um, and and everybody that's played with him has, has sort of said that over the years, and that's how he's managed to sustain a career in in the Premier League and and continues to be a an important player in Leicester's squad. Um but you know as you were talking about that before you mentioned James Justin I, I thought if you took Thomas out who no disservice to the lad whatsoever he's he's played it extremely well um this season considering he's kind of been thrown into it uh, at the back end of last season. But if you put Justin down that left-hand side with Barnes who's already said he was enjoying the the relationship they were striking up and then you have the the sort of tandem of Ricardo and Castagna down the other side. It it looks really really strong, and as you say, very flexible as well. Because what we've seen with Leicester um, more often um, in in recent times is is the ability to change shape and change approach within games to adapt to whether it's an opponent's change of shape, um, whether the objective is slightly different you know if the scoreline changes and you and you go ahead you need to consolidate you can change the shape you can change the shape if you go behind and you need to be a little bit more adventurous and having these players that can play so well in more than one position is absolutely vital to that it's not a case of Ricardo being a a reasonably decent right back and we can shove him a bit further forward he he fitted into that position really really well um and you know, when he first came to the club, yes, yes, we signed him and, and a lot of people thought he was more likely to play right back than right midfield. But we signed him as somebody that could play both. Now, through for one reason and another at Leicester, he's mainly played as a right back. But he proved against Aston Villa that he is absolutely more than capable, doesn't do it justice. He can really positively affect the game 
from further up the field of play. And what it also did was him and Castagna could work together because there were times, obviously there's times when your right winger tucks in if your right back's gone on the overlap, but they could so seamlessly swap because Castagna played um, both the right and left-hand side of of what I think for the most part was a midfield four at Atalanta um, where they played a back three. So it was really still a wing-back kind of formation, but he's more than capable of playing further forward as well. So there's no um, bother between who's further forward at, w- at what period of time. And it worked extremely well. And I can see it working as a strong partnership going forward. Um, and let's have a nod then to Luke Thomas, because that's two full matches uh, for one of the first times that I can remember in his very short professional career so far. And it, Brendan Rodgers has been very careful to manage his his game time in terms of um, the physical demands on a body that's not fully developed yet at the age of 19 um, in, in terms of where the kind of athlete that you'd expect him to be when he's 22, 23. But to, to come through two very difficult games really when when you we talk about Slavia Prague uh, in a little bit more detail um a little bit later on but but they were under the cosh Leicester for a little for quite a while during that game and he was playing against their danger man for most of that game the the one that was kind of pinpointed as as a physical threat as well as a technical threat the winger um and he he did really well with that and I thought he was excellent against Bertrand Traore as well Traore didn't get the ball facing the Leicester goal at any point during the first half, I don't think, because Thomas was right there up his backside the whole time. I think he defended in both games really, really well and at the same time managed to work together with Harvey Barnes down the left-hand side to create some good moments going forward as well. So a really, really positive uh, week for Luke Thomas. Can he play week in, week out, well, two games a week between now and the end of the season at left-back? No, I don't think so. Um, you know, we're still going to need to use Amati and maybe uh, Ricardo and, and Castagna as, as right back and left back um, for some games. But that's I think this week is a huge stride forward for Luke Thomas in, in what's been a really impressive spell so far for him. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of Traore at, at, Vill- at Villa. I think he's out of the two Traores, the Wolves Traore and the, and the Villa Traore, the Villa Triore for me, it has um, he has more more output. He has a, a, a final pass. He has a ten yard sideward pass, which is not necessarily the worst thing in the world. His his awareness is a lot better than uh, Triore at Wolves, and uh, and also he scores plenty. I think he's a really tricky customer. I thought this was Luke Thomas's best game for Leicester. I thought he was there was only one time I think he was slightly out of position, but before he was essentially foot perfect in a way for a left back for a young left back and he has someone asked me about Luke Thomas um regarding what kind of a player he is and whether he has a future because every club has one or two youngsters coming through on the bench or sometimes they get a start and they may play a handful of games they may play 20 or 30 games and then eventually drop away and end up having a career down in league 1 uh, or the championship that happens all the time in the Premier League. But when they mentioned about Luke Thomas, it says he's he's just got that bite about him where he kind of puts himself in front of most youngsters coming through, even though he is fairly slight of build. 
He has that bite where he won't get shrugged off the ball. He has the tenacity of a young player, but also the tenacity which, for me at least, it appears that it won't kind of wane with age. It, it, it won't. He won't ever lose that. That is just generally part of his game. And I like that, as well as being a, quite a clean tackler and, and quick over the ground. He just looks like a, a very accomplished uh, fullback who can get forward. He, he has all attributes in his game. Will he turn into a, an absolute world beater? I think he probably has, at the moment, less of a a lower ceiling than many people coming through. You look at, say, a Ben Chilwell when he came through, or, or maybe a Barnes. He maybe has a lower ceiling, but... You might have thought that when we signed James Justin, and look what that—he's completely gone through the ceiling. They've had to put a new roof on the building. He's—he he's, was playing so well, so maybe I'm—I'm I'm wrong in that sense. Hopefully, I am. But he was fantastic, and it's a great thing for Leicester because if he can nail down that left back position, and I'm in no—I'm um, in no quandary of the fact that he will play at left back for Leicester. In those games against sides where, even though Troyes is a very difficult opponent and Villa are a good side, if you're going to play, um, maybe even the Arsenal game next week could be a game that I'm thinking of. But against better opposition, are they going to? I think they would probably go back to a Castagna and Ricardo back uh, fullback scenario. But this offers a real option for Leicester because it gives you then Ricardo further forward. And I like Ricardo in that further forward position because of the ability to, to win the ball. And if you can win the ball, because let, let's face it, Ricardo is going to be a better tackler and he's going to anticipate, which is probably the the number one kind of trait that you want in that position if you're going to win the ball back. He's going to anticipate uh, an interception or where the ball's going to go better than Jamie Vardy, better than Harvey Barnes and better than James Madison. He's going to be able to win that ball back. And if he does, he started in an advanced position and you can see him in that position, just slightly coming in field, winning the ball back and then straight through to Vardy scoring. I can see that happening probably this season What a because of his defensive abilities and that's a great thing I'm watching at the moment as a recording it's got a replay of the Arsenal Man City game and you look at Manchester City and away from maybe just one or two further forward uh, the likes of maybe a Jesus if he's playing or probably a Riyad Mahrez and we know that Mahrez doesn't really get back and when he does it's almost like a token gesture but the rest of the players your your KDBs your Raheem Sterling's these players, they, not only when they're on the ball, they're the business going forward, but when Man City lose the ball in a very advanced position, they are absolutely rapid at getting back, not just in position, getting to the ball quick, winning that ball back as soon as possible. And then from that position, one or two passes, bang, goal. And that's what Leicester has kind of lacked, even though we have um, the chief closer down in world football from a centre-forward position, Jamie Vardy. That's now half disappeared from his game because he's being kept more central to basically stop him from burning out and flying into players at the wings. But the the other two, Barnes, he does get back, he does work hard, but he, he he's generally there for that counter, for that burst of speed. He's more of an attacker. And on the other side, maybe James Madison. Again, he gets in there, but... He is quite lightweight. 
So to have Ricardo in that position, I think is is a real bonus for Leicester in that sense as well as all the attributes going forward, scoring goals, da 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 da. Winning the ball back high up the field is something that Leicester I don't think do as well. I know it is a trait of them to sit further back and then launch the counter, etc. But this it just gives them another option. It's if you're looking at Leicester and how that how we can improve, which we'll come on to um, with a little bit of transfer rumours actually at the moment. But uh, how we can improve as a side, I think that's one aspect of our midfield slash forward line that uh, that we can improve on, and and this certainly goes that way. But a really good win, two two good goals. The goalkeeper, I think he's possibly, if you're going to have a, a ranking of um, 1 to 20 in terms of which goalkeepers had the best season, I still would probably say um, the Villa keeper is probably number one. I think he's been a revelation for them. He's he's helped them no end and he's had a brilliant season. That said, he's had two shocking games and he was capable, culpable, I think, for the two goals. He should have done better with um, Madison's shot. And he spilled Vardy's effort for, for Barnes to follow up. Um, goal for Madison. But the, the follow-up by Barnes was very encouraging because he was always on his toes. He was in the penalty area. Vardy, as he turned and shot you on the replay, you keep your eye on Barnes. And he was alert. He was trying to find that bit of space. You could almost you can almost see the smoke coming out of his ears as he was thinking, find some space, find some space. This is what I've been taught in training. This is what Vardy's been telling me for, for months and months and months. Find space in the area because you're a centre forward in that position. And he did that. And guess what? As soon as the ball was spilled by him, straight in there, he found space. The ball almost kind of came towards him. He just had to go forward a couple of steps. Bang, goal. A centre forward's goal, that was. And... Again, another thing that you want Harvey Barnes to add to his uh, list of attributes, and, and and he's doing that right now. It's the mark of a very confident player in excellent goal-scoring form, isn't it? Uh, you know, he 18 months ago, does he take up that kind of position in the first place? Does he gamble? Is, is he, as you say, on his toes and, and anticipating that kind of opportunity? Probably not. But he he's just not necessarily on autopilot, but he he knows now where he needs to be to score goals like that and it's it's nice to see him scoring that kind of almost like poacher's goal rather than the the goal manufactured by a piece of uh, individual brilliance which we've seen plenty of times this season where he takes where he takes on a man uh, and gets away an early shot and beats the keeper from in and around the edge of the penalty area or just inside the box that was a, a nice uh, element of his game to see and and that's that's what you say, Peter. You find yourself a space in the penalty area, or you're in and around the six yard box when a shot comes in. Then you're bound to get yourself some opportunities. And and he and he timed that one to perfection uh, and buried it very confidently into the roof of the net. And and there you go. That's another yet another goal on the Harvey Barnes tally. Um, I'm really glad, actually, that you talked up the goalkeeper, the Aston Villa goalkeeper on our preview podcast last week. Oh. Because, as you say, he, he probably he, he will watch the tapes back with his goalkeeping coach this week and know that he could and should have done better with both. But he's obviously felt the pressure of Pete Selby of Fox 8 podcast saying, I think he's been the top performing goalkeeper in the Premier League this season. And he's had an absolute shocker and it's benefited Leicester. Who, who are you going to talk up this week? It's going to be um, the, the Prague's 19-year-old forward, 
and it's going to be Saka and Bamiang and um, Pepe and whoever um, is, is is playing for Arsenal. But yeah, a little bit. In fact, it was over to you, wasn't it, regarding the uh, the prediction? You got it bang on. I did. Yes, I saw a tweet from um, one of our listeners earlier today. Actually, I saw it, um, and it said. Uh, Great prediction, Rob, with one of those crying laughter emojis after it. And I thought, oh, my God, what did I say? Because it sounded like a very sarcastic tweet. But uh, actually, it was. I was I was bang on with a, with a 2-1 prediction. So I will accept that, um, that tweet uh, gracefully. Thank you very much. It's not very often that we get it right, is it? We just pluck some numbers out of our heads because you were talking up Villa's defence and then went for a 3-2 thriller. So clearly, whatever we think... Has no bearing on our predictions whatsoever. But yes, on this rare occasion, I was uh, accurate with a 2-1 prediction. A little bit of transfer news. Um, I saw on Twitter yesterday, um, Fabrizio Romano, who's a very highly touted kind of transfer source. I wouldn't say he's the most accurate in the world, but he does... If he confirms a story, I think a lot of people like, you know, a player might be rumoured to be moving somewhere and it starts to gather pace, starts to gather pace and then bang, if uh, if he then talks it up and then adds a lot more detail to the story, it kind of means it's it's confirmed. And, um, and he essentially broke this, I believe. Leicester hopeful of winning the race for uh, Lille midfield, midfielder uh, Bubakari. I'm going to go Samare. Uh, that might be completely wrong, but uh, Bubakare uh, Sumare, who's uh, French, he's 21, looks a big lad. Uh, in midfield, he's uh, described as a box-to-box midfielder. Um, and he's French, so they've gone with the Pogba kind of box-to-box player. He plays for Lille, and um, and it's now been... Um, turned into a, a full column basically in the Guardian so there's it seems like there's some serious weight behind this and uh, he's uh, he plays for Lille who are top of the league um, his contract ends at the end of next season and the, by the reading the story Leicester are not only interested but they're interested in doing the deal now in time for the summer to lock him in for a cut price deal so whether it will be 30 million or not don't know but uh, it's it's very very interesting that uh, first of all, if they were to sign this player, it means that they're they're getting him ahead of everyone else. But also, twenty um, one year old French guy, does he know uh, Wesley Fofana more more than likely? And um, it says they're holding off the attention of the likes of Man U, Man City, and all these other clubs. Easy to say, but uh, yeah, he doesn't score many goals. Looking at his career stats, but uh, yeah, just just looks a, a you know six foot two, just a big unit in midfield. So a, a bit of transfer news there, and um, qualifying for the Europa for the for the Champions League rather than Europa League would go a long way to changing Leicester's transfer list, I, I would imagine, and. This looks uh, quite an exciting player as well because uh, well, last time we dipped into the French market, Rob, and splashed out about 30 million quid on a, a guy not many people have heard before. It, it seems to have worked out okay with old, old Little Wes. Not too bad, is it? So far, so good with uh, with Little Wes. Uh, I'll tell you two things I know about Samari. One uh, is what I read earlier, that, he's, that he went to Lille from the PSG Academy. So he's had a decent sort of football education, if you like, at PSG uh, and played plenty of games for Lille so far. And the second is he's pretty good on FIFA um, because 
My style of play on FIFA relies very little on technical ability and more on have you got players that are quicker and stronger and taller than the opponents and that's how you win a football match. So uh, in that respect, I can confirm his physical stats on FIFA are very, very good and he grows into like an 86 and 87 rating on FIFA in about four or five years. So, you know, that's... that's Border, that's borderline world class. It's not quite there, but it's um, it's certainly uh, getting on that way. And it would make sense, really, in the sense that um, Chowdhury's career at Leicester is still fairly uncertain. Uh, and it was up until a couple of hours, if, if not a couple of minutes before the, the, the transfer deadline um, at the beginning of this month. And... Rogers has said recently why Chowdhury's been preferred over Mendy is because he can cover some ground in the midfield. He's, he's physically, Chowdhury is far superior to, to Papi Mendy. So bringing in somebody like Samare, not only would he add extra height to our set-piece defence and attack, but also um, just the the sheer ability to cover ground in the midfield um, quicker it would it would seem to tick those boxes. The age box it ticks. Uh, more recruitment from France, uh, which has not worked out too badly for us in recent years. Uh, happy th- uh, birthday recently to Riyad Mahrez, who is arguably one of the most uh, valuable transfers that's ever taken place. Um, so all all signs are positive, and I think the other positive is that it's been. Maybe whether it's be actually happening or not, we we never know for sure. But if if these kind of talks are happening at this stage, it's a real positive that Leicester are trying to get this recruitment drive done nice and early. Um, because yeah, qualifying for the Champions League is much more likely to to attract a high caliber of player uh, in the summer. Of course, it is, but. It's important for a club like Leicester who are continuing to try to move in the right direction and continue to improve window upon window in terms of playing staff, but but season upon season in terms of league position, uh, in terms of going deeper into more competitions, then it, it, it ticks the box in that sense as well, because this level of forward thinking and, and snapping this player up before um, too many others can swoop in really, really does bode well. Uh, in terms of the the statement of intent that we're not waiting until June, July, possibly even you know uh, by the time the season's already started to to bring in players because he comes in. Um, usually these transfers happen at the beginning of July, don't they? Once a contract's done, but and um, once the window opens, he comes in, settles in, has a full summer, um, and and just becomes part of the squad, uh, and seems to have again from FIFA. This is all I know. Uh, the right attributes to to succeed. I mean, you were talking about late eighties ratings on uh, on FIFA. That's I know what you're on about because you see the players with the badges and the, and the cards holding them up and all that sort of thing. Kind of goes over my head, but uh, I'm still in the generation of where you could put invisible walls on the field on FIFA ninety seven. That's uh, that's my kind of level. But uh, <laughs> well, it, to put it into context, it's it's, it's out of a hundred. So late eighties out of a hundred is 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 pretty pretty decent, pretty solid. There you go. I still remember Jean Pierre Papin was awesome on Sensible Soccer, but there we go. Uh, we'll go to the three, three word reviews for the game against uh, Villa. So thanks to everyone who uh, who tweeted in their three word reviews. We've got Thor uh, Gatorson with uh, squeaky bum, t- bum time. Certainly was 
in parts in the final. I thought that Ming's header in the last second. Oh dear, but uh, it, yeah, they they sat back and um, they absorbed the pressure fairly well. I thought uh, massive three points uh, from Tony Walker. Uh, Ollie goes typical City performance and now breathe from Glenn. Uh, we've got uh, a few more further down. If I actually click on the right thing, uh, attacked, uh, defended, won. Which, uh, there you go, I think that's exactly sums it all up, really. I think that would be the best one of the week because it was uh, it was a three points which when you look then at the Premier League and, you, you know, every passing game, you look at the gaps to other sides, la -di -da, I'm still on the basis of Chelsea and even though they're having a rocky time but someone like Spurs being main rivals for the top four places... And uh, when you have Chelsea drawing and then you have Spurs losing, fantastic. So overall, a very good weekend. Um, I still think the likes of West Ham, as much as they're doing well now, ultimately I think will probably drop away. So a good weekend for Leicester in the Premier League. Um, it, just to just to mention how the how the kind of the game flowed, I forgot to mention about their goal, but. Leicester were in so so much command of the game. They're in. They're on the front foot, playing well. And then at the start of the second half, their goal it it completely changed the game. And I believe that if that goal didn't go in, and it just remained kind of a stagnant game for the first, even just the first five minutes, I think that game could have easily just ended two 0 because uh, Villa weren't really looking likely to score unless there was a either a ridiculous effort on goal or, or maybe a mistake at the back, none of which really looked like it was going to happen. But also, we were just in command so by so much in that first half. And, and that goal in the second half, the early goal, completely changed the nature of the game, completely changed Villa's performance, which overall I think was fairly decent if you're a Villa fan without you know Jack Grealish in the side, which I think a few people maybe got annoyed, and you mentioned about it being portrayed as the main thing in the game I think Grealish and I, done, I do this with a few mates we have a, a, a unofficial another unofficial league table of um, sides and players who are the most influential for their team in the Premier League so which player for which side is the most influential for their team in the Premier League and in our table completely unofficial um, Wilfred Zaha is top of the league. Without Zaha, Palace are rubbish. With Zaha, they are a lower to mid-table Premier League side. Without him, they're relegation fodder. Uh, I would say Villa are probably second in the league. Uh, without Jack Grealish, they are a lower to mid-table side. With Jack Grealish, they're pushing for Europe. So I think that's how much of a, of a difference he makes. So it is a story. And when you go down by only one goal, I can see that narrative. But... It, it that goal really changed the game, and and I think you could maybe almost upgrade Leicester's performance. I think I think that final three word review was bang on right in an attacking sense. Was the performance good? Yes, it was, and really encouraging with what we spoke earlier about regarding Ricardo. Um, was the defending good? Yes, in the first half we didn't need to because we were on the front foot all the time. Second half, when we sat back, I thought the defence played very well. Another good performance by goalkeeper. Defence was really good, and we've highlighted Luke Thomas as well. So I think in all aspects of the game, looking at it now... I think that that performance overall, as much as only a 2-1 win away of a, a Villa side lacking their best player, 
I think you could possibly upgrade that into you know, quite a, quite a good win. Yeah, and it showed the best of both ends of the field, didn't it? And in two halves, really. It reminded me a lot of the Fulham game at the beginning of the month and, and where we were 2-0 up at half-time. Um, Fulham couldn't really get near us for all their possession. They couldn't stop Leicester playing through midfield and, and the interchange between um, the, the forward players and, and those joining the attack as well. Uh, and Villa didn't really get near us in the first half. And, and I think that was the... They were always going to come out of the blocks a little bit in the second half. It was a bit uh, frustrating from a Leicester point of view that we conceded so early in the second period. But I would have expected if, if as you say, if that first if that early goal in the second half hadn't gone in, you would have put your house on it being st- uh, remaining 2-0. Because Brendan Rodgers has shown, as I say, in that away game at Fulham, 2-0 up at half-time. There's absolutely no need to go and chase anything in the second half. And he called it sort of controlling the game without possession. You know, most people uh, would look at a game and think to be in control of it, you need to have more of the ball than your opponents. And and by and large, that that is mostly true. But, you know, we let Fulham have the ball in the second half, particularly in areas that weren't going to hurt us. Uh, made sure that our shape was good. We pressed when we needed to, defended really well, and 2-0 at half-time, 2-0 at full-time was a, a statement of the job that Leicester did in the second half. And I think that was the same remit against um, against Villa yesterday uh, would be you've got your 2-0 advantage at half-time. The more you chase it or the more naive you are in the second half, the more likely they are to find spaces and put you under the, uh, under the cosh a little bit. So contain... And that's exactly what we did. And in, in the last stages of the game, uh, Amati was on. He ended up tucking in to play a third centre-back. Castagna dropped in and uh, uh, right back of a back five. And then whoever was in midfield, it was Tielemans. And then later on, it was Chowdhury was, was operating on the right-hand side of a four-man midfield. So it was like a 5-4-1. Um, and it's not... It, it kind of uh, could have looked a little bit like backs to the wall, but... I think Leicester defended it very well. Uh, anything that came into the box was repelled, which was very pleasing considering our lack of aerial prowess at times. Uh, and bar that Ming's header, which was a little bit behind him, but he, he he didn't make as much of it as he perhaps could have. I don't think we were... I wasn't sitting there worrying that we were going to concede. I was expecting the Villa pressure to come because we were kind of uh, set up to absorb that pressure anyway. But I think we defended really, really well. And it was almost like a training exercise where first half, uh, your attackers show what they can do. Uh, and second half is uh, is a defensive exercise. And Leicester passed both tests. And as you say, it's another win that enables Leicester to further uh, consolidate their place in the top four. And... You know, the, you look at the, the, the form, that's three wins and a draw in the last four games. The gap is continuing to widen between us and the potential other top four rivals. So uh, a wholly positive performance from both aspects and in terms of uh, looking pretty at the league table as well. It certainly does look pretty. And we the one thing that didn't look pretty was Madison going off with... 
a hip injury. Now, I may be reading an awful lot wrong here, but he tw- a lot of players tweeted after the game, as they do, saying what a great win, etc., etc. But Madison, uh, along the lines of being a Coventry lad, winning for Leicester in Birmingham, etc., and all that sort of thing. And, and I just I looked at that and went, I think if you had a real problem, a real injury, maybe you wouldn't kind of tweet so happily about it. Maybe I'm completely wrong. We'll wait and see. He's had issues in the past with his hip, as we know. So fingers crossed he's not uh, too bad. And he can actually start for Leicester at home um, in our next game because uh, it's going to be a very interesting game for Leicester. In the Premier League, our next team who will uh, come up against is is Arsenal at home. Just, Just... slowly looking for it's the early game isn't it on a Sunday yeah it's the um the midday kickoff on Sunday uh, before that we've got the home game uh, against Slavia Prague so goal is from the first leg and it was an it was an awkward game the pitch I thought the co- I don't know who the commentary uh, team was but they mentioned I, I mean they weren't there first of all actually first of all they weren't there so um unless they weren't following the build-up to the uh, the tenth degree of maybe a Leicester fan, they wouldn't maybe have known that the pitch wasn't great because early on in commentary they mentioned about the pitch be looking fine. Well, it maybe it looked fine on TV, but it became quite apparent early on that it actually looked to be quite heavy and bobbly, etc. Uh, not terrible, but it wasn't great, and. There was a few needles here and there. There was a few dives. There was a few dodgy decisions. And you kind of roll it all in and you come away with a nil-nil. And you go, okay, early on I thought Leicester looked quite dangerous. But then they they grew into the game. And overall, a a nil-nil was probably about the the right result. Also, you escape without any serious injury as well. It's all in all probably a fair result and, and all to play for at the King Power on Thursday. It's the later game on Thursday. So, what, 8 o'clock kickoff, 8.05. And with Leicester in their current form, you just have to be very confident, really, about them progressing because you can see how they're a good side. We gave them the big build-up in the previous game. So if you want to hear about Slavia Prague, etc., from our point of view... I'd say listen to the previous podcast um, from about this point on um, and you hear our basis of Slavia Prague and how dangerous they are, this and the other. And, and they showed that in the game. They showed their promise. You can see how they're top of the league against substantially lesser opposition because I think overall that Czech league is quite poor when you go further down the league. Uh, so you don't need to be any proper world beaters, but you can see how they are decent and you can see how they've um, beaten some decent sides in European competition, but ultimately, Leicester playing what more than likely will be a very strong side. Um, I would imagine, maybe, it depends how Castagna comes out of the game, I would say maybe, because we are at home, they might really want to start on the front foot Leicester and maybe undare from the start. And if that's the case, then they would more than likely have Ricardo at right back and then on the left probably Thomas after that game if he's if he's okay and I presume he is and then that would be normally how it would go with Castagna maybe being kept for the Arsenal game after just coming back from injury that seems more than likely a sensible option and then the rest of the side pretty much the first team I can't see any reason why they wouldn't 
And then with the, the look for maybe a quick start, maybe get in front early, away goals do count. So get maybe two up in the game at some points and then ring the five subs. Take off your Vardis, take off your, your Tillemans, etc., your Ndidis possibly, and and maybe look to shut the game down. I think if, if there was ever a scenario which Brendan Rodgers could pick from a wall of scenarios that could happen on Thursday... Getting two up at half time and taking off the star players would be the option. It would. I think uh, in Prague um, and having a, a sort of not a sense of the unknown, but but they had they had the advantage of of understanding the pitch of Leicester, despite doing their homework, not really knowing fully what to expect. Um, and it being the first leg, full of sort of optimistic promise, Prague were, and you could see why, as you said, why they're so successful in the Czech League, because you can just see the, the, the wave after wave of pressure and the bodies that they pile forward would overwhelm and suffocate most inferior defences. And that's that's a sort of fact that they don't sort of pick their moments. They just constantly piled on, on the pressure. And I think that's what made it a little bit difficult for for Leicester in the sense that it was fairly relentless um, and, and occasionally naive because Leicester did find some room, particularly in behind their, their right back for Harvey Barnes. Um, on another night, Leicester would have converted uh, one of the chances and, and shown the extra bit of quality that they clearly have over Slavia Prague, but they didn't on the night. And it comes down to 90 minutes at the King Power Stadium where you would expect, and this is why, partly why these games are played over two legs. Of course, you've got to take into account the home and away um, elements as well. Uh, you would expect Leicester's quality to shine through with another 90 minutes against against Slavia Prague. Um, as, as you say, uh, some, something along the lines of the Fulham and Villa games recently where you get your job done by half-time, get your goals um, make sure that you don't give away anything daft in the second half and, and move through to the next round. I think Leicester should have too much for Slavia Prague and I think a fast start and a, an early goal in the first half will will dent their optimism for any sort of success from this tie. So I think it's really important that Leicester um, send a statement of their intent straight away uh, and get stuck into that straight away. Uh, formation and 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 personnel wise, I think you're you're along the right lines there, Pete. It's got to be a strong starting lineup. Um, Ricardo, I, I I thought because Castagna's been out for a little while, particularly with a hamstring, I thought it might be him that uh, that came off with maybe twenty minutes to go or something against Villa. Uh, but it was Ricardo who was who who came off, which may well be after him being rested for the. For the previous, for the first leg of the Slavia Prague game, it might well be with a nod to him starting on Thursday night and just make sure that he's got that freshness in the legs. Uh, whereas Castagna maybe playing ninety minutes against Villa will will see him uh, withdrawn from maybe from the starting lineup at least against Slavia Prague. If Thomas is okay to play three games in 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 seven or eight days, then then great at left back. But if not, you know. You could play Amati at right back and Ricardo across at left back, no problem there. Uh, Madison, we don't know the extent of his injury, but if it, if there's anything there that might keep him out for the Arsenal game, if he aggravates it, um, if it is something as short term as that, then maybe it's um it's an opportunity for somebody like Perez to come in and start in the number ten role, or maybe you 
put another enforcer in the middle with Chowdhury uh, and push Tielemans a little bit further forward. That's what happened when Madison came off in the Villa game. But certainly uh, I'd start Vardy through the middle. Um, I see what you're saying about under down the right-hand side. It might be that, that Albrighton missed out against um, Villa with a view to him starting on Thursday night and just rotating the odd player here or there will increase the freshness. But it, we've we've got to get at them early, um, stamp our authority on the game and, and make sure that they're left in no uncertain terms, that we are uh, a team that is third in the Premier League, arguably the most competitive league in the world, and they are top of a, as you say, very poor Czech league. And we need to show that difference on Thursday night. Breaking news. Martin Ziegler of The Times reports Aston Villa have banned players from taking part in fancy football <laughs> following <laughs> the Grealish injury leak. That is just, just come through Fan, now. That's fantastic. Does that count as an assist? Do we get points for that? <laughs> uh, if we're playing, if we're, if we're leading our lives based on Fantasy Premier League, then yes, we get assist points for that. There you go. Even though you're listening to this podcast after, so maybe Monday night or even Tuesday, maybe even Wednesday, or even before the game on Thursday against Slavia Prague. However you're listening to this, wherever you're listening to this, do remember that we were first with that news ahead of any publication where you read this over the coming days. Um, so for all your breaking news, stick with us at For Fox Sake. I... Rob Hayes, I'm going to go. I'm going to stick with my two nil. Actually, I I like that as a uh, as a scoreline. There's there's two angles here. I I think this has the, the the possibility of first of all dissolving into a proper basketball match. I can see this if Leicester score first, because if Leicester score first and probably twice, then Slavia Prague are going to have to really come at Leicester and. Completely agree with what you said. They will throw players forward. If so, they will be ripe for a counter. And Barnes, uh, depending on if we're two up in Fardy's on the field, although uh, Kalechi Inacho will be susp- suspended for the game. Excuse me. Um, so the like for likes, what won't happen, but they will, if they have the chance of taking off Vardy, they will change players around or whatever, uh, or may bring a youngster on even. The likes of Barnes and Under will be licking their lips at the possibility of a counter attack. So if Leicester go two up, and I was going to say two nil, um, it's I think that I think I'm going to go and stick with two nil. But I think the two nil will more than likely be a one nil, and then Leicester score later on to go two nil. Because if we go at two nil up, say before half time. This could just descend into chaos because they're going to fly forward and then Leicester on the counter. So more than likely they score a goal and then obviously with the counter-attack and the prowess that we have in that aspect of our game, it really could turn into a you know a 5-2 jobby or something like that. So I'm going to go 2-0, but Leicester hopefully dominating play. I wouldn't be against... If, if you were going to not have James Madison... I would more than likely err on the side of caution and put Yuri Tillemans in that position and then play another player in midfield, more than likely Hamza Chowdhury, in fact, instead of Mendy. Mendy would be an option against probably better opposition, but I think you could have uh, Wilf. If they want to give Wilf a bit of a rat, I don't think they will, but if they wanted to and they wanted to play Mendy and Chowdhury, now this this is a, a scenario... Because you're going to be playing Yuri Tillemans further forward. As his replacement in midfield, I would say Hamza Chowdhury. 
So you've got Wilf, you've got Hamza, and then further forward, Yuri Tillemans. I think that's more than likely the way they'll go. But if you were going to go that way, you could maybe have an argument to say, don't start Wilfred and Didi and play Papi Mendy in his place. Because with Hamza Chowdhury alongside him, those two together would make up for the lack of a Wilf in midfield. Now, we know Ndidi gives so much more to the side, especially, say, on corners, etc., defending as well. But if there was ever a case of looking at Wilfred Ndidi and going, do you know what, I'd love to not start him in a game, maybe because of the lack of James Madison, that actually gives a slight window for Brendan to actually say to Wilf, look, we, we won't start you in this game, but be ready to possibly come on. That's a, 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 a very slight possibility, I'd say, but an intriguing prospect with it all being created by a lack of Madison. Yeah, it, it offers the chance for other players to come in and, and maybe uh, players that are starting more often to either have a rest or move into a slightly different position in, in Didi and Tielemann's case. But just to just to clarify for those listeners who, who do keenly listen to our predictions, goodness only knows why, because if you haven't worked out over the last five years, we've got no idea what we're talking about. Um, Pete is going for either... 2-0 Leicester or 5-2 Leicester. I mean, do you want to predict, uh, do you want to have a, a couple more and go for a, a draw and a Slavia Prague win as well just to cover every base or are you happy with just those two? I'm going to stick with the 2-0. That's what I said straight away. So I'm going to stick with the 2-0. <laughs> but if it does end up 5-2, remember. You heard it here first. Remember Home of breaking news for Fox 8 podcast. <laughs> um, predictions wise, I, I want us to show that we've got loads more quality than Slavia Prague so um, I'm going to go 3-0 uh, 2 nil by half time uh, yes they'll come out of the blocks in the second half and us to score at least one more breakaway goal I, I, I do see where you're coming from totally with the with the 5-2 sort of scenario um, so I'm going to go for 3-0 Leicester and then we look forward to the Premier League and just looking at the fixture list we have then Arsenal on Sunday, as mentioned. On Wednesday, we then travel to Burnley. On the Saturday, we travel to Brighton. And then on the 13th, uh, which uh, will be Sheffield United. So that will be the week after. But then whether they would have a, a Europa League midweek game, not entirely sure how it works out. But still, those th- four games in the Premier League, at home against Arsenal, away at Burnley, away at Brighton, at home against Sheffield United. A good, on paper, run of fixtures. Now, Rob, Arsenal at home on Sunday is a game I'm going to be talking about for quite a lot over the next few days for a few bits and bobs with work. So, when it comes to the preview of this game, of course, you have the game in Europe to get over when it comes to injuries and team selections and all this, that and t'other. But Arsenal should hold no worry for that. I don't think they will anyway, but they shouldn't hold any worry for Leicester. I think, and again, I've got the the highlights or the full game, in fact, against Man City. What a terrible game. Man City playing with a handbrake on. Arsenal, I have got them down as being drab and dull. They're 10th in the league and they're 10th for a reason. They are quite a solid side. They don't concede many goals, even though they, they sold the better of the two goalkeepers that they've got. But just going forward, Arsenal, star players over the the last 20 years, 
star players galore from the Henri and Perez era. You you move forward and you've got then your, your Van Persies, Walcott for a spell, and even Arshavin shone for a while, Fabregas. But at the moment, you've got Aubameyang, who is being paid, first of all, an absolute fortune. He's a very good player. He looks completely off the pace. Now, whether that's just through injuries, this is a guy in his 30s now. He's no Jamie Vardy in terms of age, but he's no Jamie Vardy in terms of pace as well. Um, He's obviously still a good player, but he's lost, I think, that yard of pace, which meant that he can't really dribble past players anymore. He used to be able to ghost past players, a little bit Mares-esque, not really through skill, but just a kind of drag of the foot. Uh, you've got Lacazette in the centre, who overall in his Arsenal career, I would still label as disappointing. Uh, and then on the other side, you've got Pepe, who I'm sorry, is a complete dog of a signing. 70-odd million pounds, nah, nah. Like He is... He's not quick. He looks like he's stumbling over the ball when he tries to beat a man. He has that kind of stutter when he gets to a player, which you think, well, hang on, you've not really got a clue what you're doing. You're not going to beat him for pace. He's just ultimately a a, a really disappointing player. So that's your forward line. And then behind that, you're trying to sprinkle a few youngsters in the side. They've got that. They've got Smith-Rowe, who looks a decent player. They've got Saka, who's excellent. But these two have been the focus of the team for the entire year. I think they're a dreadful side. And I think they've got a terrible record when they go one down. Leicester have got a really good record when they go in front of games. So I just think Leicester, who have a good record against Arsenal, winning their earlier on in the year with the old Vardy off the bench scenario. And Vardy's got a cracking record against Arsenal in his career at Leicester. I think Leicester, Sunday morning, midday, obviously afternoon, score first, game over, take it to them. Yeah, they're, they're pretty toothless, aren't they, Arsenal? And and that's shown in their performances this season, uh, shown by the fact that they're just not very good uh, when their backs are up against the wall and they've actually got a graft for a result. And yeah, to pin all of your hopes on, look, it's, it's fine to bring a couple of youngsters in and enable them to flourish in, in the Premier League around a team that is doing their own jobs as well and is able to sort of um, not look after those younger players but also put their fair share of high-level performances in like Leicester City, for example. Do, is, has our season revolved around uh, Wesley Fofana? No, but has he made an important contribution to a, to a well-drilled uh, and... Uh, a team that is performing at a high level. Yes, it has. You know, Barnes and Madison, you still consider to be young players, right? They're not quite as young as Smithrow and and, um, and Saka. But have they been able to shine because of other players around them as well? Yes. Whereas, as you say, Arsenal are like, oh my God, quick, we've got to start Smithrow and Saka because that ridiculous amount of um, wages and transfer fees sitting on the bench isn't isn't doing the job for us. I dread to think how much somebody like Williams on. He didn't. I don't think I've seen him run this season. Um, and you know, looking at Leicester's fixtures, you know, you, you're, you're talking there about the next four: Arsenal, Burnley, Brighton, and um, and Sheffield United. Out of the four of those, it's a toss-up for me between um, Arsenal and Sheffield United, which is 
the most winnable game of those four. Away to Burnley, who are rediscovering their ability to not lose football matches. Um, Brighton have turned a corner uh, in this in this calendar year um, and have sort of dragged themselves into being difficult to beat, scoring the odd goal to win the games. I think Arsenal are the are the softest of the four opponents. Uh, don't get me wrong, I'd, I'd still fully expect us to beat Sheffield United because they're bottom of the league and they can't beat anybody. Um, uh, but Arsenal, for me, for me, looks like one of the easiest of the of those upcoming four fixtures, and that that's a huge fall from grace, isn't it? Especially when you still look at individually the 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 players and the transfer fees and the wages that you would expect to put together for a top four slash six team is just not there. And whether that's the manager, whether it is a case of too many um, egos or, or or players that think they have a divine right to be in the starting lineup and and, uh, and sort of throw the toys out the pram if, if it's not being built around them. I, I don't know. I don't know what the problems are are at Arsenal, and I say that as a plural, but there are plenty of them, and I fully expect us to turn them over on, on Sunday lunchtime. Arsenal could still be asleep, Leicester could be a couple goals up in, in the blink of an eye, and, and you wouldn't then think, uh-oh, Arsenal are going to come back and, and hurt us here, and you'd fully expect us to manage the game uh, as we have proven more and more adept at in recent weeks uh, through to a, a, a successful victory. I think Leicester will start really quickly. I think Rodgers will just look at Arsenal and, and look at the way that they play and go, look, get at these lads. You get in front and you can control the game. The, the, the manager, Arteta, who I think a lot of people will look at and just kind of shake their head and go, well, he's not done a very good job there. I don't think anyone really down at Arsenal with their current squad could argue that they would do an awful lot better. I think a natural improvement could, could happen. And I think you could easily say that they should be higher with what they've got. But I'm, I wouldn't say you, you'd be banging on the door of the top six. Looking at the league table, they're 10th. They're 15 points off Leicester. Um, at the moment, they are nine points off Chelsea in fifth. So you look at sixth Liverpool, they're six points off Liverpool. We know that obviously they've had a real problem that's six points. That can easily be made up. So they're in the conversation for finishing in the European places. They need to tighten their defence, and they've done that. They've conceded only 26 goals in the Premier League. That is the third best in the league. Uh, they don't score many. They've scored 31 in 25. That's Arsenal scoring 31 goals in 25 games. So you need to shore up your defence. You do that. Um, you need to then score more goals. Well, you're playing Pepe, Lacazette and Aubameyang. You would, first of all, doesn't matter what formation you play, doesn't matter what style of football you play, you would expect those three to, between them, contribute plenty in terms of creating goals for others, but also finishing them as well. That's not happened. So then you look at the bench and you go, or you look at the youngsters and go, well, yeah, what have we got then to look forward to from here? And we, I said, you know, Saka's a, a really good player and, and Smith Rowe, but you can't base your team around them. They should be around the established stars who haven't performed. 
they just look off the pace. I think signing Odegaard on loan kind of sums up Arsenal at the moment. He should have been the club that he went to when he was in when he was that promising youngster. Uh, but then he went to Real Madrid, and it's, I'm not saying it's quite worked out for him. I don't think he's going to be the world star which everyone kind of hoped because at one point he was, you know, he was the boy. But um, now he's gone on loan to Arsenal, and you're thinking, well, hang on, that's not the player you needed at all. You know, first of all, you've got your own youngster in exactly the same position, pretty much as Smith Rowe, and also that's not what you need. You don't need to be getting a, a youngster who hasn't made it elsewhere, especially at Real Madrid, um, who needs game time. He should have still been uh, at the other club in Spain. You need to be spending your money and spending your wages as well on established first-team players who can perform, not £70 million on Pepe and William, who has just been a massive disappointment since he signed. So I I agree with you. When you when you look at the other sides, you look at your Burnies and your, you know, your Sheffield United, these, these sort of sides... I agree with you. Arsenal have always got the, the the chance of turning up and playing really well. You know, they, they've always got that. They'll always be that side. And the term big club, I think, is a horrendous term in football. You know, because you could have an appalling side but still be a big club. Or you could be a half-decent sized club but be playing really well and be high up the league. Which is right. The fact that Arsenal are a big club, though, they are, <laughs> which is going against what I've just said, but they are a massive team in Europe. This is not just in England. So they're always going to have the finance. They're always going to have uh, the crowds and they're always going to have the ability to track big players. But at the moment, at the moment, perfectly honest, they don't have any of those, <laughs> um, including the crowds, along with everyone else. So I just look at Arsenal and go, they're there. Just for the taking, I think Sunday midday is a good time to play them. If that sounds a bit weird, I think if you're playing in the evening or the afternoon, then they would maybe be more at it. It's a shame it's not going to be kind of minus one or cold or really, really crisp and cold. Because you think Arsenal turning up to the King Power, crisp and cold midday kickoff, you think they're going to really fancy it, some of their big names? Nah. They haven't fancied it all year. So I'm gonna go I'm gonna go for a good win here. I'm gonna go three one. I think they might just have the ability to nick a goal, but I'm gonna go three one, but a good Leicester win. Vardy. Vardy to run right always scores against Arsenal. Yeah, I'll take Vardy as well, but I'm just gonna go for a, a plain, simple job done one nil. I'll take it. <laughs> of I course you would it's another three points in the bag isn't it I definitely take it now we mentioned um, fancy football earlier and again we're in the middle of a game week so it is slightly difficult to uh, uh, to do the game week because we're in the middle first of all I've dropped down no end I'm down in 24th place but I do have three players for Leeds who play in the week and uh, also I've got the goalkeeper for Brighton tonight so I still have four players to play including the captain Rafinha so hopefully I shall march up the league um, but we are in the middle of a game week so we won't do the top 10 uh, but we'll just look for Rob who Rob you've got 60 points so far which is not bad at all and you still have your captain Banford and Ward Prowse and Dallas to make his way all over from the States to play for Leeds as well. So you've got still three to play. So it could be a very good week for you. 
It could. I got over 100 points last week as well, which was an absolute phenomenon. I'm, I'm glad I was sitting down when I looked at the, the final standings after the previous game week. I, I used um, my wild card last week and, and brought in plenty of players who were playing a double game week and made sure I cashed in on those points. Uh, and I'm hoping that uh, Bamford bags a couple, maybe even a hat-trick against Southampton because he is my captain and he and he had a goal disallowed in the, at the weekend, but they are playing Leeds and Southampton are playing each other in midweek this week. So, uh, like you, a Leeds captain who I'm hoping for more points from. But yeah, average at the moment, uh, before Monday night's game and before those that, that midweek game has been played, the average points is 40. And I've got 60, which is reasonable, but, you know, it, it climbs me up to a... Uh, the dizzy heights of 124th uh, as things stand. So, you know what? My aim is to get somewhere near the top 100 by the end of the season. It's been um, one of those sort of recovery missions since I went awry a couple of months ago. There's a long way to go yet, but uh, we're in the middle of the game week, so I won't do the top 10. I've got, yeah, looking at my team, 49 points. Barnes didn't play for Burnley, so James will come in. So that's an extra three points. As I mentioned, I'm hoping for a good Leeds win on Tuesday, I think tomorrow they play. Um I got a defender, I got the captain Rafinha and I've also got Bamford as well. So that'll do me a nice uh, a nice Leeds win. Anyway, that'll do me for that and that'll do us for the podcast because that's the end of the show. If you want to get in contact and of course you do, get in contact via Twitter at ffspod for fox sake podcast. Find us on Facebook, give us a like as well. And also, if you're listening to this podcast on, say, Apple iTunes or maybe on Spotify, then just scroll down or whatever platform you're listening to us on and click on the star rating and give us a rating out of five. Hopefully five, but a rating of whatever you fancy. Get in contact with the show on whatever formats. Email for fox8podcast at gmail.com. And uh, just comment on the latest episode, any parts you like, any parts you don't like, uh, any parts that you want us to talk about, any players, any transfer activities, anything to do with Leicester. Crikey, over the five and a half, six years or whatever that we've covered, Leicester City, Rob, we've gone from make-believe scenarios in the 1960s all the way through to best players who have not played for Leicester for that season to all sorts of weird and wonderful squads of players beginning with W or whatever we've done. So in any way, shape or form and on any subject to do with Leicester, get in contact. If there's that, just that weird niggly thing, do you remember that dodgy door at Filbert Street that used to fly over? Whatever you want, get in contact with us. Uh, if you don't want your name read out on air but the question, then again, just pop that at the bottom. Don't worry about that. And uh, and then we'll do our best to uh, to try and answer or discuss whatever scenario that you put forward to us, Rob. Yes, we will. And we do appreciate hearing from the listeners. We, we, we see the listening figures and we appreciate that. And if you're somebody that listens but doesn't feel particularly compelled to get in touch, absolutely fine. Thank you very much for listening. We, we hope that we bring uh, some kind of enjoyment to, to your week with our... Uh, ramblings about Leicester City but if yeah if you've got something that you'd like discuss something that you like our opinion on or something that you would like the wider for fox sake opinion on and you want us to put that out to our listeners uh, and see what they think then absolutely anything football or Leicester City related uh, well, well we'll take anything really won't we? we we like to hear from from anybody about anything within reason if it's something a little bit more niche maybe Pete could put that on his other podcast but you know 
<laughs> not done that one for a while in fact just looking actually on the um on, on yeah have kind of like insights to do with the uh the podcast uh just a big hello really to everyone outside of the uk obviously the uk is going to be where most of the listeners are but um we've got a substantial listening in the united states in a league table they're in second uh so hello to everyone uh in the u.s cold over there at the moment uh in australia quite a healthy listenership in australia they're just ahead of canada so Canada down in fourth, and then we go over to Ireland, uh, 14 uh, over in Ireland currently listening to the podcast, uh, and then as uh, we've got Denmark, we've got Italy, we've got Hungary, um, New Zealand, Finland, Sweden, Czech Republic, Belgium, Russia, France, Norway, Poland, Singapore, Spain, Romania, Malaysia, uh, the Isle of Man, Japan, Vietnam, Ecuador, and one person in Bahrain, wherever you are. And a big hello. But uh, wherever you are on the earth listening to, for fuck's sake, many thanks for listening. If you do see us on Facebook or on Twitter, and we've posted about the podcast, just a link to it, then just give us a retweet and a thumbs up. And uh, everyone stay safe. And fingers crossed that next time that we're back, we're in the next round of the Europa League with smashed Arsenal on Sunday. And we can look forward to more concrete plans of maybe having fans at the end of the season at the King Power against Spurs, and maybe after that in a Leicester City FA Cup final. Who knows? But we'll be here, and we'll be back next week. Mm-hmm.